0: This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. A lot of ground to cover. Let's get right to it. All right. I I, I decided to go on to one of these searches today to try to find out if the over over the last several decades I have been engaging in one of these sort of uh, unintentionally racist moments. All right. Eric Bilstead before you go away, right? have you ever in your life use the term cotton picking like guy you know keep you know I, I keep your cotton picking hands off me or something like that yeah uh, maybe I, maybe. I yeah, yeah maybe right okay all right well well, well fair enough I, I have used it from time to time over over the years um, the history of this term it, it's kind of hard to pin down um it, it came into vogue in America. Like in the 30s and 40s and 50s, um, a lot of the a lot. Of, it, what what it is? It, it's a stand-in term for the word "damn." You know, instead of saying "keep your damn hands off me," you say "keep your cotton-picking hands off me." That that's what that's what it is. If you don't want to use the word "damn" or some other obscenity, it, it's a way of expressing that. But but that's that's what that's how you use it. Um, the the term. It's kind of tough to figure out how it originated, but in the popular culture, you know, when they used to have these B-Westerns in like the 40s and 50s, a lot of the cowboys would say, get your cotton-picking mitts off me or something like that. That was the term. Um, actually, Bugs Bunny. Um, Bugs Bunny, while not originating the term, you know, Bugs Bunny used to use the term in the old Bugs Bunny cartoon slot, wait just a cotton-picking minute, All right? So that's that's kind of the history, and again, it's you, you use it when you want to don't feel like you you want to express a firm strong opinion but you don't want to use the swear word that that's that's how this term comes to place now you might say okay well what's what's the original history of of this term um you know cotton picket and you, you got to go back further than that i I've, I've actually spent more time than i i want some of this time i spent this morning in my life back but but essentially they say it it originates the 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 term Cotton picking. If if you pick cotton, your hands get rough, and and so they think that that might have been the thing. It's like okay, don't touch me with those like rough hands. That's what it means. Now, people who picked cotton um, in the South were, I mean, slaves picked cotton, but you know, white people picked cotton as well. That was the huge industry. You know, in cotton was a huge industry in the South um, in the seventeen hundred. Well, I mean, it's always been like a huge industry. So it's it's not. You know, cotton picking hands is not unique to a particular race. And again, the the term has has widespread use, and it, it's kind of maybe it's sort of an old-fashioned type of term, but it has widespread use. And you see it, and again, it it stands in for a swear word. That that's really where you want to use it. You want to express a strong opinion on something, but you. You don't want to say damn or something like that. All right. Now, I bring this up with the history because there was a controversy, I guess, that developed on Sunday. On Fox News, you've got a guy named David Bossie, who's the former deputy campaign manager for President Trump. He's a conservative activist, and he's in one of these heated Sunday morning discussions with a guy named Joel Payne, who's a Democratic strategist and a frequent Fox guest. So this is one where they're just going back and forth at each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is not one of the more civil debates that you would see, but they're going back and forth at each other. And at one point in time, David Bossie, who's the conservative, um, says, "Are you out of your cotton picking mind?" That, that's that's what he says. You out of your cotton picking mind? Boom. At, to which the Democratic activist, who happens to be black, takes great offense. I've got some relatives who pick cotton. And I'm not going to sit here and allow you to attack me like that. All right. Fox News released a statement after this, calling this Mr. Bossy's outburst deeply offensive and wholly inappropriate. Okay. 414 is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. As I often say, there is unquestionably real racism in this country. And, and when you see it, that racism needs to be singled out and called out and condemned. So here you have this debate between the, these two people. It's going back and forth. It's extremely heated. And the conservative says, are you out of your cotton pick in mind? And now it's, okay, this term, that had to be a racist slur. The guy, of course, embraces it. Well, I I, I have some relatives. Um, you, I, I'm, I got some relatives who picked cotton. Well, my guess is, of course, there's a lot of white people Um, with relatives in the South who grew up with their relatives who at some point in time might have picked cotton as well. But let's tee this up. I mean, is this phrase inherently racist and is using this phrase in America in 2018 the type of thing that you need to, well, I don't know, if you say it, you know, you have to be criticized and you should be apologizing for it. Is this a term that we cannot use in 2018? And my guess is, if you are honest there are probably, you have probably used at some point in time, like I say, this is kind of a, it's an old-fashioned term, but but my guess is you have probably used this term at some point in time in your life, and it never, ever, 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 did I say ever, ever, occurred to you that you were using this as a racist slur. 414-799-1620. All right, cotton picking. Is this an inherently racist term? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. twelve fourteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ twelve seventeen Jeff Wagner, W P M J. Okay. Get your cotton picking hands off me. Are you out of your cotton picking mind? Etc. That phrase essentially it's it's a it's a euphemism for a swear word. I mean you you substitute if you want to say get are you out of your damn mind, but you didn't want to say that, you say cotton picking. Well at least you used to be able to say cotton picking because now there's this huge flap. What happens is debate on Fox News on Sunday, you've got a conservative, you've got a liberal liberal is black And in the context of this heated debate, the conservative commentator says, are you out of your cotton pick in mind? And now we're off to the races. Fox News is apologizing. Oh, this is racist. This is incredible. I mean, really? I mean, is this in the context of this, is this really a racist term? And uh, again, lots of people in the South, which is where this term originated, pick cotton. The history of this as near as I'm able to figure out is picking cotton makes your hands rough. Um, so you're not calling somebody, for example, a cotton picker. You're saying, get your cotton picking hands off me, meaning it's kind of like the history is your hands are, are rough. And white people pick cotton, black people pick cotton, but now you apparently can't use this term in America in 2018. Uh, let's see. Rocky starts off by saying, oh, my God, it's like people are looking to pick a fight and become offended. We put too much emphasis on words. We need to focus on important things. 414 Let's start with Jeff in Wawatosa. Jeff, you're first. Jeff, got to turn down your radio. Got to turn down your radio. Okay, let's try Mike in West Allis. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hey, hello. Now, I think, you know, I've used that term, you know, a handful of times yeah. in my life, but I think the way that it was said there, usually, like when I've said, I'd be like, you know, Get your i picking myths off of that thing, you know, to my kids or right. whatever, you know, a couple times, right? But I think the way that it was said in that context was kind of, really kind of weird, you know. I mean, just I think maybe in the back of his mind, like that, he was thinking it that, but it was just I don't know. I, I never thought of it that way until, until you brought it up today <laughs> yeah. in the show. Yeah, never, thought, yeah well, it was so, right. never really something that.
0: You know. No, right. I you never associate. I mean, yes, you you. I mean, thanks to I mean, that's. It. I think you you never thought about it before. I mean, again, it's that that's the you know. I, again, I go. I remember the Bugs Bunny ca- cartoons. Wait a cotton pick in a minute. I mean that that's it. I, I don't I don't think anybody ever assumed that this had racial connotations. I mean, and I I I. And I guess maybe maybe this is one of these phrases. Is this, is this now the new phrase where, for example, you can have Lena Taylor that goes into a downtown bank and calls somebody a house N-word, and that's okay because she's black and so she can say that, but if somebody who's white says it, it's an issue, or is it ever inappropriate? But, I mean, I guess the question becomes, where do you end up drawing the line? If the man would have said are you out of your darn mind, or are you out of your damn mind, or, or whatever, okay, well, we, we don't have this conversation. But because he didn't want to say that word on TV, he ends up saying cotton-picking, and now all of a sudden he's being labeled as a racist. I guess here's the biggest point for me. Uh, you, you kind of, and I understand, I understand that there are terms which at one point in time you know, maybe they were acceptable to use, and then things have changed over the years. And by modern sensibilities, you can't say this this term anymore. What's one of the examples? You used to be able to say people would say, "Are, are you gypped, Right? Yeah, I, I was gypped. Well, people, you know, there's a pushback. Don't say that nowadays because it's an insult to you know, uh, it's an insult to gypsies and people who are from you know, certain part of the world. Okay, so I get the thing that I get that that language meanings changing, and just because something was acceptable and permissible in 1940 or 1950 or 1960 doesn't mean that it's automatically still acceptable in 2018. I understand things evolve, but at the same time, really, I mean, in the context of this, the guy saying, are you out of your mind, which I I think... My guess is if you watch some of these talking head shows and you see some of the people out there, you are probably wondering, are you out of your mind? He could have said, you know, used a swear word in there. He didn't. He says cotton picking. And now it's this huge cause celeb. Oh, my gosh, that this is this racist thing. I don't think there was any racist intent here. And the problem with apologizing for this is then you, uh, again, make, make it clear that, all right, maybe there is some merit to some of these objections, instead of simply saying, come on, there's real racism here. And in this context, it's clear this man wasn't calling you a cotton picker for whatever, wasn't making any reference to your slave ancestry. And my guess is for people, both black and white, who have used this term over the last several decades, in in no case has anybody thought that they were trying to be racially insensitive in saying it. Like I say, they were just trying to use this as a substitute for a, a more harsh word. For example, that they were choosing not to use. But this is the latest. This is the latest example where we have you know people who end up getting upset, and now Fox has to apologize and all. It's just it, it just it, it makes my head hurt when you see us getting distracted on what I consider to be silly stuff and yes I consider this to be a silly issue I don't believe the man intended any sort of racism to it I think the over I think that the guy who responded was reacting I think it was a gross overreaction again in context and my question now becomes okay what's the next phrase that's part of the popular culture that we now have to eliminate because somebody somewhere may be offended by it. It's 1223. When we come back, let me make sense about what happened in the Brendan Dassey case today. Um, short story, The Fat Lady Has Sung. Can you say that? Can you say the fat lady has sung? Will I get criticized for that? Yeah. Well, what can you do? 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The big gig is big fun for adults in southeast Wisconsin, but what about the kids in your life? Gene Miller gets tips on how to enjoy Summerfest As a family, that's 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Summerfest starts in two days. Um, We'll be broadcasting. There's an early Brewers game on Wednesday, so I'm not going to be down there Wednesday, but I will be down there Thursday. So um, our show originates Thursday from noon until 3. I have a vacation day on Friday and then uh, several days next week as well. So if you happen to be down at Summerfest during the day, and by the way, I mean, I... I understand they've got the, the big acts that they have on in, in the evening and all, but I will tell you, um, I love being down at Summerfest during the day. It, it's not as crowded. Um, There's lots of good entertainment on the various side stages. You know, maybe not some of the national bands, but who cares? There's good entertainment that's there. It's not as crowded typically, so you're not dealing with some of the lines and stuff, and you can, generally speaking, you know, get a good seat pretty much at any of the stages. So, if you're looking for a way to take in Summerfest and you might be a little bit crowd adverse, uh, during the day is a great way to do it so uh, check it out if you're down there speaking of crowd adverse I there there is there are just so many cool things that go on in southeast Wisconsin in the summer um, over the weekend Cedarburg of all places I, I've heard about this for years strawberry festival they, okay so I and so my my wife had to work Saturday night but she said let's, tell you what let's, let's go out and walk around for a couple hours so I said all right great so we go up there I've never seen so many people in one place. And I mean, and, and I say this affectionately the entire downtown of Cedarburg, which is a really, it, it's a very cute town. Um, it, it's just, it's just taken over. They block off Main Street. And several of the side streets, and there's just tent after tent of vendors and people wandering around and everybody having a good time. I had never been at Strawberry Fest before, but I will most definitely go back. And I don't really even like strawberries, but there were so many cool things that were out there and uh, just a lot of people having fun. And I know there's all sorts of events like that that are going on all over you know, the region, and it's fun to take into account. And all these years I've lived here, I've never been to Strawberry Fest and actually got my exercise into because you had to park several blocks away and walk to get there, but it was it was just fun, and the weather was perfect, and i tell you, there's no place like Wisconsin in the summer. Hey, some sad news. Gru, who's producing the show today, do you watch, uh, you don't watch as much junk TV as I do. Um, my wife would say nobody watches as much junk TV as I do, but you ever watch Pawn Stars on the History Network? You don't watch Pawn Stars. Okay, well... Pawn Stars is at least at one point in time it was on the History Network. It was the, it was the it was their number one show. Don't know that it is anymore, but it's it it, it follows. It, there's a pawn shop in Las Vegas called the Gold and Silver Pawn Shop or Silver and Gold Pawn Shop, whatever. I've been there once. It's kind of disappointing. You know, actually, when you go in, it's real little. But what they do is they 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 show people will bring stuff in and try to pawn it. Generally, try to sell it. Typically. And then there's a discussion of the stuff, and they end up, you know, buying it or being able to make a deal. What I, I just, I don't know. I find it like potato chips. That they, they show them, you know, when they show the, the the Pawn Stars, you know, they'll typically show like five or six hours worth. And I just, I just watch it. I'm fascinated. It's kind of like you, once you watch one, you just kind of keep watching it. And there's a number of of characters that that are there, but the pawn shop is essentially run by the, this this family. And if you've watched it, you know what I mean. Well, in any event, uh, today. The, the patriarch of the family they just on the show that call him the old man and if you watch the show you know what I'm talking about his name is Richard Harrison passed away today um at the age of 77 been fighting parkinson's disease he's been off the show for a year or two now um following i think a stroke but he he passed away but if you watch pawn stars um, the his character it, it was him I, I don't think it was he was kind of the, he's the guy that founded the pawn shop and then turned it over to his son who runs it but he was he was kind of a crusty old guy who'd kind of just like like sit there and say we ain't paying that much money for whatever that was. It, was, it was he seemed to be an interesting guy and in, um, in the event he, he passed away at the age of 77 if you see the reruns he, he's all over them um, but uh, that was, if you ever get a chance to go to Las Vegas and and you're a fan, You probably, you will be disappointed if you go to the store, but everybody should do it. I think that's one of the things. All right. There, I don't know that the news conference is still going on. There was a news conference at 12 o'clock today featuring the district attorney, featuring the police chief, featuring a number of aldermen trying to promote the the new, um, and by new I mean new over the last several months, chase policy that the Milwaukee Police Department has instituted. We have talked about this before. I think everybody knows for several years, um, the former police chief and the mayor decided we don't want to chase people because we don't want to put lives at risk. So the word got out. There was almost no circumstance under which Milwaukee police would be allowed to chase. So the, the word got out and people just knew that you could drive away from Milwaukee police officers and they wouldn't follow you. Um, you'd have the, these rolling drug cars, and because the police weren't allowed to chase, hey, the cops see somebody doing a drug deal, they drive off, doesn't matter, you got to let them go. People driving stolen cars, you got to let them go, they drive off. And it led to, I, I think, making the streets of Milwaukee just a lot more dangerous. Well, you had the story a couple weeks ago, the tragic story about the Milwaukee police officer, Charles Irvin who lost his life. When the police car, he was involved in a chase, and the police car rolled over, and he was killed. There is always a risk. Over the weekend, there was a Glendale police officer, and maybe you missed the story, who um, was hit by somebody driving a stolen vehicle. What happened is, Friday night, Saturday morning, like around 2.40 in the morning, there was a couple people, they haven't caught him yet. I think we can, we, we could probably surmise, you know, that what what went on here. But a couple people went in. I'm going to say broke in. There was an unlocked door in a house in Whitefish Bay. They went into the house. They apparently got into the lady's purse. She left the purse in her house. Surprise, follow surprise. And they took out the car keys for two cars in Whitefish Bay. They stole both of those cars. So they enter her house through an unlocked door. Um, steal both of the cars after rifling through a purse. They also stole another car in Whitefish Bay. This is, again, early Saturday morning, 2.30 in the morning or whatever. They start driving off. The police spot these stolen cars. One drives up on somebody's lawn and the person flees. The other one is starting to flee down Silver Spring. And if you can picture where Bayshore Shopping Center is, like the corner of Port Washington Road and Silver Spring, this is like 2.30 in the morning. There's a Glendale police officer who's out. He's, he's apparently getting on the radio. Hey, we're, we're start, we're chasing these stolen cars. What he's out there doing, he's in the intersection deploying those stop sticks, you know, the things that if you run over them, the, the tires deflate. What apparently happened is that, um, one of the stolen cars driving through the intersection at a high rate of speed crossed over several lanes of traffic and struck the officer causing injury. Now it's unclear whether the person was trying to hit the officer or or not. We, we don't know that, at least I can't tell that from the stories, but um, hit the officer and then drove off. Um, ultimately, both of the cars were abandoned. So in this particular case, they weren't able to catch either one of the people who were involved in the car thefts, but they're looking for them, and hopefully Hopefully they will. Maybe there'll be fingerprints on the cars or whatever. My guess is when they find them, you're going to find that the perpetrators had a lengthy criminal record. It's almost always, almost always the case. Yeah, um, I would guess a good percentage of the time people who stole these cars and did this, they're out on some form of, of supervision on parole or bail or, or whatever. And they're out there stealing cars. Now, I tell this story because I want to circle back to this this news conference today. And my understanding is the the district attorney was was going to be at this news conference. And I think it is great that we are publicizing, trying to get the message out to the bad guys, the, the car thieves and the mobile drug dealers and the armed robbers and the carjackers and whatever, that if you run you will be chased. I think that's the appropriate thing to do, and I think it's good that you get the message out. But that's only, in my opinion, part of the story. The other part of the story is what happens next? One of the justifications that former Milwaukee Police Chief Ed Flynn always used to give for not chasing, he'd say, we chase, and if we catch them, if they're juveniles or whatever, they they turn them loose. You know, it's just they're back out on the street, you know, in a couple hours. And so what Flynn would argue is, why bother chasing them? Why put people's lives at risk, including whether it's police officers or civilians or whatever? Why bother chasing if we're just going to turn them loose? Which I think, while I disagree with the old chase policy or no chase policy, I think that's at least a fair point. I mean, if, if there's not going to be consequences... When people run, well, okay, maybe then you should just let them run because there is always this risk. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the, the key. It's not just we want to tell people we're going to chase. That's fine. But what you need to hear from the district attorney and maybe from, like, Maxine White, who's the chief Milwaukee County Circuit judge. She's the chief. Maybe we need to hear, you know what else? It's not just a question of people running. It's a question of when they get caught, when we catch them, when we pull over the car, or what happens a lot of times is they get out of the car and they run away. We're going to hold them account- accountable. We're going to charge them to the full extent of the law. If it's children, juveniles driving stolen cars, we're going to do everything we can to waive them into adult court. And if we can't waive them into adult court, we are going to be pushing to have them incarcerated in juvenile court. To me, you've got to lock up people that run, which is why I have argued for the longest time, I believe there should be a mandatory minimum three-year penalty for people who run from the police. On top of whatever else you did, if you want to stop this, let's start putting the people who are endangering the lives of our police officers and our citizens Let's start putting them in prison. 414-799-1620, that's the acunate mortgage, talk and text line, mandatory minimum incarceration for people who run. I think this is an idea whose time has come. If the judges won't push for it, if the district attorney's office can't get it, maybe it's time for the legislature to take a crack at this. All right, mandatory jail term for people who run from the cops. What do you think? 414 799 1620. I think it's long overdue. And in this, just publicizing we're going to chase doesn't, it's fine. There's no problem with it. But unless you follow it up with strict penalties for anybody who runs from the cops, well, this is what it's it's not going to make any difference. And we're going to continue to have citizens injured. You're going to continue to have officers injured. 414 799 1620. What do you think? 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Twelve forty nine. Jeff Wagner. W T M J. Jason and Mequon. Hi, Jason.
2: Hey, afternoon, Jeff. Uh, playing and eluding an officer is already a felony. It is right number one. So until you get some of these, you know, judges on the record saying what they're going to do about it. I mean, we already got choo choo Tom on the record already saying four or five times it's just a joyride, and I'll guarantee you out here in you know, you know, Mequon. It's judges, County. Tom, yep. Yeah, you do something like that, you're going straight to the clink. I mean, and, and, you don't get a second chance.
0: Right, and, and, and as you should. Now, thanks to culture and seeing that, you're right. I mean, it, it's a felony, but but here here's part of the problem. Um, first of all, you have to have district attorneys who, who charge it and then push it. In Milwaukee, if you're a juvenile and you steal a car, even if you stole 10 or 20 cars, you're, they're, they're not going to push to try to waive you into adult court, which is a mistake, number one. And then once you get, whether it's juvenile court or whether you get to adult court, this is not seen as, as a big deal. That's why I think, unfortunately, because of the approach that some judges have, you got to take it out of their hands. You have to say, we're going to have mandatory minimum penalties for this, because I happen to think that it is a big deal. I mean, maybe I'm naive, and I understand some people would say, "Well, you know, you're talking about mass incarceration. You're going to have to put up. You're going to be putting a bunch of people in prison." Yes, yes, I am. I, I, I am. But you're doing that with the idea of maybe deterring this behavior, because what we know now on a regular basis is the the standard procedure is, um, if you're driving a stolen car, if you're engaged in carjacking, if you're engaged in drug dealing, you just run from the cops. And maybe they'll catch you, and maybe they won't. Now, the guys that hit the people, I'm mean, going to assume it's guys, but I don't know. The people that hit the Glendale police officer who was putting down the stop sticks, um, they, you know, they haven't caught them yet because they, they got away. They hit the police officer. They were able to escape. They abandoned the car somewhere, and now you know, they're out on the streets, and they will carjack somebody, and they're going to steal another car. You know that's what's going to happen. You also know it wasn't the first time that they did it. This is the problem, and it's one, it's one of these situations, and, and I've seen this in a couple different cases. Drunk driving, I think the public is so very, very far ahead of where, like, the political class is, and, and we look at the drunk driving stuff, and we go, you know, we, we need to get more serious about this. I think there's another example, and that is with these chases. I think the general public is sick to heck of the fact that on any given day, You might see some of these punks driving stolen cars, whether it's a joyride or they're drug dealers or whatever, you know, driving at high rates of speed, putting the rest of our lives in danger, and then thinking that they can just run from the cops. And the reason they do it is because they think, well, we can get away a lot of times. And even if we don't get away, nothing bad is going to happen to us. And it is a shame of the court system that they're right a lot of times. So, I mean, great. Tell everybody don't run. But then the key is follow it up. Have the district attorney say, we are, we're going to be seeking maximum penalties every time somebody runs. We're going to be waving these car thieves into adult court. We're going to try every time. And we're going to, wouldn't it be refreshing to have John Chisholm saying, I'm going to use my soapbox. I'm going to use my soapbox to call out the judges who won't accept the waivers or to call out, you know, sentences that where somebody gets put on probation again and again and again. Cuz I don't know about you, but I'm sick to death of these stories where people are losing their lives, people are getting injured, people are having their cars stolen, and it turns out, okay, it's the same group, the same career cl- class of career criminals, maybe at the age of 16 and 17 still, who are stealing all these cars and are doing it over and over again and not having any consequences. If you don't have consequences, you don't deter the behavior. Period. So it's great. Call attention to the chase policy. I'm all in favor of that. But unless you back it up and say we're going to start holding people accountable, which means no double secret probation, but you're going to prison, it's not going to make any difference. And in the interim, unfortunately, you're going to have average citizens and you're going to have police officers who are going to end up getting injured or perhaps unfortunately killed in the case of the Glendale police officer. Like I say, I look at these facts, and I wonder if the guy driving the stolen car was trying to run him down. I wonder if he was trying to kill him. But one way or the other, um, you know, you got to hold him accountable. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, in a piece in the Weekly Standard this week, uh, my friend and former colleague, Charlie Sykes, describes this as the summer of jerkitude. Now, I, I think he's on to something. I might use a, a different phrase, but, but I think that's exactly it. it it's sort of like we, we've now decided that as part of the culture, we're, we're going to become complete and total jerks. And we're going to revel in that. And and I think we're going to talk about that in this segment of this show. And I also think about where where there is this backlash that's there. Now, let me go back in time a little bit. As somebody who vividly remembers the ongoing debate about Act 10 and what I thought was the -the over-the-top hysterical reaction by the hate left, I saw how I think that backfired. There might have been legitimate policy disagreements with, you know, some of the things that were contained in Act 10, but nothing, nothing at all that was sufficient to justify the the reaction. All the out-of-state union activists pouring in, the death threats directed at Republican legislators the screaming, the angst, the protests in the street, the storming the state capitol, the state senators heading down to Illinois, the reaction was so out of proportion that I think there was a huge backlash, and and it played out in in the recall, because even though there were some people that might have otherwise been not sympathetic to some of the stuff that was going on, they, they looked at what was happening in Madison, and they said, I don't want to be part of this group. I mean, this is... This is the fringe hate left that's out there, and and I don't want to be part of, of that. This might play well with a certain you know with with the certain you know ultra left the hate left tribe out there, but in general, I mean, among average people, it was like, nah, I don't I don't want to be part of this. They're they're they're, they're they've taken over the capital and they're screaming and the chanting. Ah, I don't think I want to be part of that. And what happened was, Walker wins the recall big goes on to win in 2000, uh, you know, re-elected big in 2014. And I'd always wondered, and I seriously do, whether if the reaction had been more muted to Act 10 and more along the kind of traditional lines, would there have been, and there hadn't been a recall election, you know, would that have been an issue if you had the right candidate? Could Walker have been defeated in 2014? Don't know. Don't don't know, but the, the tactics that the left used, certainly didn't work. Well, what we are seeing nationally is we are seeing the Act 10 debate on steroids, and you really do see the, the, the summer of jerkitude. Let's just kind of review the bidding. Um, um, Kirsten Nielsen, she's the Secretary of Homeland Security. Now, last week, you might remember the story, um, she, was, she was eating at a Mexican restaurant uh, near the White House, and you had protesters with this, um, the Metro DC Democratic Socialists of America. Okay, so they're commies. They're they're out there. They're screaming. They're shouting. And she gets she gets forced to, to leave. A group of protesters gathered outside her house Friday morning, chanting "No justice, no sleep," and blaring audio of immigrant children crying. About two dozen protesters with this. Again, this this hate-left group called Credo Action chanted with megaphones, wave signs that read, Child Snatcher, and played all these clips. She leaves for work, and they're screaming, You're a modern-day Nazi. You belong in the Hague. Try her for war crimes. Okay, this, this is the reaction. They go out to her house, and they're screaming this. They chase her out of this restaurant. Oh, we're so cool. This is great. All right, then, of course, you had the story that broke over the weekend about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She goes out to dinner with her family to this restaurant in northern Virginia. She sits down. The owner comes and throws her out. Oh, you're not welcome here. We're not going to serve you. Throws her out. And the, the owner, of course, you know, she's taking all these this applause. Oh, that's great that you stood up and you threw out, you know, the president's spokesperson. All right. Then, of course, you have the crazy, and I, I do, I think she's crazy, Congresswoman Maxine Waters. She goes on MSNBC over the weekend and says that current administration officials who defend President Trump know what they're doing is wrong and that soon they won't be able to peacefully appear in public without being harassed. This is what Maxine Waters says. They're not going to be able to go to a restaurant. They're not going to be able to stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop at a department store. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to protest. They're going to absolutely harass them. And uh, she says that she wants people to go on record and that we pushed back and we fought and we did not consider ourselves victims of this president. So she is calling on people to publicly single out folks who work for the Trump administration and publicly harass them. And you are starting to see this. All right, now I've got a couple comments on this. First of all, you know, it is the summer of jerkitude. that This is where our political discourse has come now. All right, we're going to identify people and we're going to go out to their houses and we're going to scream or we're going to toss them out of restaurants and we're going to yell at them and we're going to follow them and harass them. That's number one. I mean, what jerky behavior. That's number two. If the hate left thinks that this is going to be a success, I have to tell you, it might make you feel good and it might play well within your particular tribe. But I think if, if you want if you want, I don't know if Donald Trump's going to run for reelection, but if you want to see Donald Trump get reelected, keep doing this. Keep filling up the TV screens with scenes of crazy people screaming outside of administration houses you know, in the middle of the night. I I think, you know, that's going to be one of the things. And number three, and I'm going to be real honest here, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but if this really comes to fruition, if this is now going to be the new tactic, we're going to stalk people. We're going to go out to their homes. We're going to confront them in public places. Somebody's going to get hurt because what's going to happen is you're going to have one of these unhinged people, part of this hate mob, who, you know, isn't going to be able to restrain themselves And somebody's going to get hurt. And I think it's interesting, you know, you saw this partly, what, last year when there was the shooting at that congressional baseball game where you had this unhinged lefty that traveled, what, from Illinois to Washington to do this. When you have people like Maxine Waters saying what she's saying, that, I think, is fueling the fire for somebody, again, unstable to figure, all right, well, if it's okay to do this, this is how I'm going to do it. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Guess that's my reaction to this this new tactic that is being employed by the out of control hate left. Bigger point though is, I think I think there's people of goodwill still on both sides who see this type of stuff and just cringe. And just like I think the over the top reactions to Act Ten propelled Scott Walker um, and really help push the agenda whereas a more muted a different sort of a more thoughtful response might have might have changed the dynamic a little i think if this is the new tactic let's confront people let's make this the summer of jerkitude that that does nothing but help president trump and the conservatives cuz i continue to believe that there is I don't know if it's the phrase silent majority. I know that fell out of favor with Nixon and stuff like that. But I do think there's a silent majority of Americans who look at this and say, this is crazy. What's going on here is absolutely crazy. And this is unhinged. And, okay, likening what they've been doing at the border to, "You're you're a Nazi murderer. You should be on trial for war crimes. I mean, do these people seriously, don't they recognize how nuts they seem? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's the text. Uh, you seem awfully concerned about how and when it's appropriate for liberals to speak out. Let me just stop there. I, it's not a question of, of liberals speaking out. God knows liberals have no trouble speaking out, and you've got a number of avenues to do it, whether it's through the mainstream media or the New York Times or whatever. But but yes, I I am concerned when it's not a question of speaking out, but it's let's harass people. Let's go out. Let's show up at people's homes and let's scream at them. Let's follow people when they're at gas stations and let's scream at them. Let's disrupt their lives. That is not speaking out. That's something new in American politics. And if that's what the hate left thinks is going to be successful, well, uh, go with God. But I think it's it's not going to work out. The text continues. It's awfully con- con- coincidental that all- advice always seems to be the equivalent of sit down and shut up. Um, well, no, it's not sit down and shut up. It's, all right, yeah, feel free to voice yourself. But now we're going to throw, we're going to tell you to Sanders, uh, that, to Sarah Huckabee, that you, you, you can't eat in this place. We're going to throw you up because we're morally superior. And here we're going to stalk people and we're going to confront people. Huh? That's new in American politics. Do does do know that we're not going to sit down and shut up because we're not going to. We are turning out in record numbers in November. And I personally will never be voting for Republicans again. And you can thank Donald Trump for that. Well, okay, that that, that's all well and good. My point is, the more hysterical you get and whether it's Maxine Waters or whatever, the more what happens is that folks go, okay, we don't want to be a part of this group. You know, we, we don't. We don't want to relate to this group that's going out and screaming at some woman or throwing her out of a restaurant because of the job that she does. But of course, that's what passes for normal. And I understand that gets applause. You know, you've got a certain part of the electorate that's, you know, just endorsing that. But I think the more you do that, the more you end up, again, taking that silent majority of people who are saying, no, I've got some issues with what Trump's doing or whatever, but I don't want to be part of this. This is not a club I want to belong to. Let's talk to Ray in Illinois. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Real well, thank you, sir.
1: Good. I listen to your show on podcast every day, and there's always topics I want to call in. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you live today. So oh, great.
0: I, thank you. Appreciate it.
1: I love it. Listen, um, two things about this. First of all, if people want, this is how Trump got elected, is that people in flyover country and stuff said we're sick and tired of, being preached to by these kind of people right. and stuff. But the second thing is, Jeff, this is going to incite, and you know this is going to happen, somebody's going to try to take a shot at somebody or pepper spray somebody, or somebody's going to get hurt and killed. Well, you, you hope, you
0: hope you're wrong. I, I, Ray, I hope you're wrong, and I, I hope I'm too. wrong. But, yeah, I mean, when, when you see Maxine Waters saying these types of things, let's go out, let's harass them, let's confront them. They're not going to be able to go to restaurants. They're not going to be able to stop at a gas station. They're not going to be able to shop. Well, okay, people are gonna turn on them. it's a fine line that she's talking about, and a very dangerous line, because there's some unstable people out there and Yep. Yep, that's
1: the that's and the the other thing, Jeff, is you know, when Obama was elected we we didn't do this. We accepted it. If Hillary would have won, I think Republicans would have accepted it. But there's just there's these people are so deranged.
0: Well they are and, and there's always been Ray and Ferris, there's always been this this fringe. That, that's yeah. You know, there's always been this fringe out here, but what we're starting to see is this type of behavior being normalized, where you have congressmen and you have, you know, all these different groups. This is starting to become this mainstream sort of thing. And I'll tell you, Ray, I think that there's a lot of what I'm going to call mainstream Democrats who are looking at this and they're a little bit uncomfortable with it because yep. it's almost like right. the mob is starting to take control here. And once the mob takes control, you know, it, where, where do you end up?
1: Yeah, yeah. you're right. And I, and I mean, I didn't vote for Trump either, but, uh, you know, and I have problems with some of the stuff he's doing. But boy, I'll tell you, this is not the nope. way that you uh, approach that you make it. Make friends and influence people, I'll tell you. No,
0: Hey, Ray, thanks so much for the call. and Thanks for listening on the podcast. By the way, um, I know because I see the numbers every month. I know lots of people do that. You can go to WTMJ.com. You go to our podcast page and uh, just set it up. And if you can't hear the program live, you can listen to it there. And again, I, I just, this is, this is a different sort of thing. And I appreciate that there have always been, on both the left and the right, there, there's always been sort of fringe elements that are out there. But what you're starting to see is the mainstreaming of, of the kook fringe. The idea that this is what we're going to do. We're going to show up at people's houses with with bullhorns and scream at them. That, I think, again, it's it's scary, and I think from the perspective of the left, it's counterproductive. Because, like I said, I think a lot of people look at this and go, I don't want to be part of this. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ.
3: Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Yes, sir. Well, you know, if you look at the the southern border issue and them uh, accusing Trump of being a Hitler, keep one thing in mind. Hitler went into other countries and detained people and brought them to concentration camps to use them to his liking, okay, whether he killed them or he used them as slaves. Donald Trump is not going into Mexico and rounding people up.
0: No. That's, I mean, Sam, you know, I had a lady call up the other day, and she was, again, she's like, this is... And she was, this is the big lie. It's like, it's Trump versus Hitler. Versus Hitler. And you kind of go, what? You know, people who say that are just historically ignorant. I mean, and, and, and you know, whether it's to the right or left or again, I mean, you know, when, when you start using comparisons to Nazi Germany, it's just, it shows how unhinged that you have become. And yet that's the common thing that goes here now.
3: Yeah. And I would also warn them that, you know, before Hitler did what he did, he used political correctness, and that is a form of harassing and intimidating to get people on board. You know, he couldn't do what he did until he succeeded at that
2: first, okay? That's what they're doing here, so they better be careful who they call Hitler here.
0: Well, right, it, again, thanks, thanks for calling, and it just, it turns off just huge chunks of, of people. Now, I, I understand that there is a certain, there's a certain segment of of the population that... that embraces the summer of jerkitude what was the other story Seth Rogen the comedian okay he apparently he's at an event with Paul Ryan a while ago Ryan's there with his kids Ryan asks for a picture with him and the guy says no oh okay that that's fine but then Seth Rogen goes on TV over the weekend and and proudly proclaims I wouldn't pose with Paul Ryan well okay you're a self-righteous jerk I mean it's one thing if you decide you don't want to take the picture, okay, I, I get it. But then, you know, you're going to go on national TV and you're going to brag about it. That's 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 a jerk. That's being a jerk. Maxine Waters calling for people to go out to people's houses and harass them because, you know, they, they work for the Trump administration. That's, that's being a jerk, and it's potentially dangerous. Saying to Sanders Huckabee, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you can't eat here because I disagree with you. That's being a jerk. And again, I understand the hate left doesn't see that, but the truth of the matter is that is the reality of this. So, if you want to be part of this club, I guess that's great. But to me, that's the recipe for getting President Trump re-elected. You heard it here, one twenty-eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's one thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, let me uh, let's see here. The Brewers enjoy a day off before welcoming the Kansas City Royals to town for a short two-game interleague matchup. Hall of Famer Bob Uecker will be on the call. He kicks off our coverage that is at six thirty-five tomorrow evening. Be sure to check that out. Okay, let me get the most. Let me get the most current numbers here. The stock market is in a freefall. The Dow is down four hundred and two points. That's one point six five percent. The Nasdaq. And this is an even bigger number the, the technology heavy, heavy Nasdaq is down 121 190 points, which is a almost a 2.5 percent drop. That's a big deal. And stocks the last two weeks have been have been kind of on a downward path, not necessarily a spiral, but today it's um it's really in the tank. Here's the way the Wall Street, Street Journal writes this: U.S. stocks tumbled Monday, heading for their biggest one-day slide in months as fresh escalations in the global trade conflict sent investors fleeing from some of the market's most beloved technology firms. Fresh jabs between the White House and China exacerbated investor fears about a full-blown trade war. President Donald Trump is moving to bar Chinese companies from investing in U.S. tech firms and to block additional tech experts to the country in his latest efforts to pressure Beijing. The Chinese president told a group of multi-international chief executives that Beijing would punch back, um, and so here you see, I think it's very clear that the stock market, and you know, this is this is intertwined with you know what's going on with this trade war stuff. Investors, this is the Wall Street Journal today. Investors around the globe have been spooked by the prospect of a full-blown trade war between the U.S. and China. While the tariffs so far announced by the U.S. administration and retaliatory measures amount to only a small number of goods, analysts fear that tensions could escalate and spread across other uh, major economies. So, I mean, this is what's driving, I think, what's going on today. In You also you know, see the European Union, which is threatening retaliatory tariffs against the United States if we're not able to work something out. And, you know, hitting close to home, Harley-Davidson announcing that they're going to be moving more of their motorcycle production overseas. They've got a plant in Thailand, and one of the things, the reason they're saying it is because we've got the, um, it's because of tariffs. You know, if if we make the motorcycles in Thailand, you know, it's not going to be subject to the same sort of tariffs. If we're trying, Harley's trying to get into the European market, that's an important uh, market for their growth. So Harley is saying, well, you know, if we make the market, the, if we make the bikes in the U.S. and then we export them to Europe, we're going to hit get hit with these big tariffs that might add as much as twenty two hundred dollars per bike. Well, we can avoid that by manufacturing the the bikes overseas. Now that's fine for Harley to do it, but at the same time, who loses? Well, the U.S. production workers lose. All right. I defend President Trump when I think he deserves defending. I will say this, though, and it's something I have been saying for months and months. Picking a trade war at this point in time in our nation's economy strikes me as being absolutely crazy. I see little or no upside to alienating our trading partners in Europe and in Canada and in Mexico and very little upside to engaging right now in this battle with with China. And we're starting to see the effects of it. You know, one of the things that you've been able to say for the first, you know, year and a half of the Trump administration is like him, hate him, doesn't matter. The economy's been humming along. We're close to full employment or, you know, almost statistically almost at full employment. The stock market has been doing fine. And for a lot of average Americans, that makes a big deal because, you know, okay, maybe you're not a millionaire, maybe you're not a multimillionaire, but chances are, you know, if you've been saving for your retirement, you've got money in, you know, a 401k or something, and you get those statements every quarter or whatever, and you see that number going up and you feel good about yourself. Maybe it's, it's your job. You know, you feel comfortable with your job. You feel secure. That's, that's how politicians get reelected. You know, it's, we're, we're, we care about a lot of different issues, but generally speaking, if the economy is doing well and people feel good about their personal prospects, that, that's a good sign for whatever party is in power when that's happening. And that has been happening for the last you know, year plus. That's potentially starting to change because of all this saber rattling with regard to, uh, again, trade wars. Right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our, numbers are our number is 414 is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Akinet Mortgage talk and text line. I think trying to pick a trade war with the rest of the world at this particular time, arguably at any time, but certainly at this particular time, is absolutely crazy. The president has come out and he said, well, trade wars are good and they're easily won no no they're not good and no they're not easily won. and for wisconsin in particular uh, a state that relies a lot on exports you know we send our agricultural products overseas the idea that we're going to again invite tariffs from other countries which are going to make our goods more expensive and the result of that is to discourage you know european countries or canada or mexico or whatever from taking our products and trying to find cheaper alternatives, this this is not good policy. And I don't care if it's a Republican president or a Democrat president trying to pick a trade war is I just don't think it works out well for us. And you're starting to see that over what's happened with the stock market for the last couple of weeks, culminating today in a, a free fall, a drop of the Dow of the Nasdaq of almost two hundred points. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm all in favor of protecting American jobs. But what we're doing right now isn't protecting American jobs. What it's doing is costing consumers money, it's costing companies money, and it's going to cost people jobs. And the president needs to figure out an honorable way to retreat. You know, what do they used to say? You know, peace with honor. Well, I, okay, I understand the president in this particular case doesn't like to admit he's wrong. But I think he's really bitten off more than he can chew when it comes to these trade wars. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I have no doubt that we have bad trade deals with some countries. Well, what you do then is you renegotiate. You don't, at least in my opinion, you don't say, all right, we're going to unilaterally impose all these tariffs in other words, if you're going to, if we're importing goods from Canada, Mexico, Great Britain, whatever, we're we're going to um, now put on a, a tariff of ten percent or twenty percent or, or whatever. You, you don't do that because what happens is those countries respond. That's what's going on today with Harley. If you're wondering why the stock market is in the tank, it, it's partly this. All right, the European Union and Europe is Harley's number two market. European Union says, well, okay, the, the president's talking about putting tariffs on. All right, well, we're, we're going to respond. We're going we're to put a 20% tariff on, which increases the cost of Harley motorcycles by about $2,200 a piece. Harley says, well, okay, well, here's how we're going to respond to that. We're going to move production from the U.S. We're going to produce in Thailand or, or wherever, and we're going to avoid the tariffs because we'll be importing it from there. All right. Well, what's the effect of this? You know, you've moved jobs overseas. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. This whole trade war stuff is scary to me. And I mean, it's by the way, for people who say, well, Republicans and Democrats you know, promoting trade wars is not—it's not a Republican thing. It's, as a matter of fact, it's about as contrary to Republican, the conventional Republican thinking over the last five decades, as as you can possibly imagine. I mean, to me, the way you grow an economy is you open markets. You don't make it more difficult for us to do business with our ongoing customers. David and Franklin. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hi. My comment, I mean, certainly big industry is important, but I'm a retired uh, large animal veterinarian. I grew up in Missouri, and back then, if you were a farmer or you were a, a union member you were a, a democrat mm-hmm. and i mean now i mean i moved to wisconsin in 81 and virtually all the farmers i dealt with were republican up here and i could never understand it because nobody did more for farming than the democratic party i mean especially post uh, the depression but anyway my point is is you should look at the numbers on what is happening in farming right now sure they're not going to buy soybeans from us anymore. Right. China's not. They're buying them from, you know, South America. Swine, uh, uh, across the board. I mean, it
0: Cranberries. Very, I mean, very, very Wisconsin scary. is one of the largest producers of cranberries in the world. And sure. exactly. Soybeans is another classic example of that. We, Right. We're getting killed because... The, the response is okay fine you know we'll we'll find we'll go somewhere else to find those products and especially for some of the fa- small and medium-sized farmers where do they go to replace that business i i, I don't know
2: but it's uh it's get you know uh, hoover uh he had tariffs and it was not the route to go i mean of course we had to have a war to take us out of the depression but right. regardless Tariffs,
0: nobody went to terrible no no exactly no thanks that's for exactly. trade wars are not good no thanks to call dave you're you're this is and that's like I understand I am sure we we run trade imbalances first of all that the big concern that this country has had is china because you know china dumping cheap goods you know onto the market well okay if if that's the case all right, if you want to get into a trade war, do it with China. And I don't think that's the way to go either. Don't get me wrong. But now we're, we're putting tariffs on Europe and on Canada and on Mexico. This whole thing makes no sense. To me, what you do is if you've got bad deals, you re, you try to renegotiate those deals and you do something over time. But we're starting to see play out in real time the effect of, just kind of unilaterally deciding we're going to be isolationists. And I I understand the president says, hey, I, I want to help some of these steel workers on the East Coast. Well, okay, we don't have the manufacturing capability to make all the steel we need anyways. We're going to be importing steel. We're going to be importing aluminum. And now we're doing it at a greater cost. Consumers are going to lose. Companies are going to lose. Workers are going to lose. I don't see anybody who gains out of this. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ.
3: Yeah, uh good good afternoon. Hi Vincent. Uh, the the problem is, is that Harley Davidson was already on the fence. Right. It, it was going through some problems, you know, dealing with, you know, selling selling their products and everything. And now now they get this hit from Trump who who the officials and and the Trump met met together when Trump got elected and uh, he said he was going to make Harley great again. And So obviously uh that's not happening. Uh the fact is is that uh, and and the secondary thing is is that when we look at that tax cut that we're supposed to get People are going to be paying more for products. You look at the aluminum sure. and steel. The fact is, it's going to come out of our pockets.
0: Sure, and, and, and for everything, beer cans. I mean, you know, just a, you know, everything. And because we can't, Cars. right? Yeah, and we can't make. We we don't have enough steel and aluminum capacity in this country now to make all the stuff we need. So we we, we we've got to depend on imports to an extent. I I tell you, Vincent, this for for a guy who's. Supposedly such a smart businessman. I just don't get this one at all. And um, I cringe when I see what's going on in the stock market.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the me and my wife, we got out at the first of the year, and, and then we were looking at it because we thought well, with this trade war uh, trade, trade talk, you know, this trade war talk, we knew that if, if it came to pass, that uh, it wasn't going to be good for America. It's no. not going to be good for America not our portfolio. And then we're close to retirement. We just can't. Stick
0: in here and wait and see if he's going to turn this around. So yeah, well, I mean, I think I mean I mean for, no, well. Thanks for the, from from a political standpoint, the the one the the I'm not going to say one, but one of the big things that President Trump has had going for him is the, the fact that the economy has been humming along. If you if you listen to the people that are a lot smarter about this than I am, and there's many of them, they tell you that they will tell you that the fundamentals of the American economy are still strong. If you look at the you know the underlying the, the profit and loss stuff, the, the, the fundamentals of this economy are really, really strong. They continue to be strong. But the problem is when you have this artificial stuff that's thrown in and here we're we're now gonna we're gonna upset the Apple cart and I look at it and I keep trying to figure out to what end. All right, yet yeah, yes, I understand we made some promises to again, some steel workers, and there's not that many steel workers, that here we're going to try to bring some American jobs back. Okay, that that's great, but we're going to tank the economy just because we want to increase American steel production. And I'm not even sure, like I say, there's enough companies there that we can't increase American steel production enough to take care of what we need. Let's talk to Troy in Wauwatosa. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hi, yeah, I agree with uh, your comments on the tariff war, I think, in general tariffs are bad for the U.S. economy, but my real question is, what's the end game? If you look at comments from the economic advisor, it's more of the end game is less tariffs and more of a free economy, which I think is good, but if it's just tariffs because I want to pick an industry I like, I think that's bad, and Mm -hmm. overall, it it hurts a lot more people than it helps.
0: Yeah. I mean, I—I I, I mean, see, I—I'm one of these conservative. I mean, I'm a free trader. I mean, I, I think the way you grow the economy is that you—you you open up markets. You make it easier to get American goods you know into into places not here let's invite these retaliatory tariffs that make it more expensive and and cripple various industries and hurt the farmers in wisconsin i'm i'm all about let's break down barriers and let's get trade going and let's give somebody as many markets as they possibly can have to sell their cranberries that's what i want to see happen
2: exactly and and trump has this nostalgia for manufacturing jobs and and that's all well and good, but I think once you start to see the pushback from economists and Republicans, yeah. I hope and I pray that eventually you'll back off and you'll see that the negative outweighs the positive by a far
0: some. Right, yeah, and thanks for calling. No, I mean, fine, you know, I mean, exactly. I mean, and fine, you know, if, if you need to figure out a way to save face, that that's fine. Okay, here's the text. I think the president is trying to get all the American companies that went overseas Back to the United States, but I can see American companies leaving too because of this. Yeah, that's the and, and that's you know that I mean. It, see, here's the thing: we we live in a global economy, and it, you know you you see this companies are multinational companies. You know Johnson Controls cuts this deal where now essentially they're they're a company based in Ireland for what, whatever. Whatever reasons, companies have that flexibility of where they can go. The Harley case is just a microcosm of the bigger issue. All right, you impose these tariffs, so it's going to be more expensive to bring motorcycles into Europe, not because of the cost of the motorcycles going up, just because of this artificial tariff that's been put on that adds the cost of $2,200. So rather than have the bike cost $2,200, which is going to affect sales in Europe, Harley just switches production to a non-US country um, costs America jobs. It's just this is I again love President Trump or hate him. The a trade war nobody wins in this. and this is one where candidly I, I think he's on he's, he's on his own. This is one where you know you talk to lots of really really smart Republicans and uh, let's just stay close to home. Paul Ryan, Scott Walker, Ron Johnson. And they all kind of just shake their heads and say, I, "This this is not the way to go." It's one fifty six. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We got a lot of stuff uh, left on this today's program. Congressman out of Madison wants to wants to do away with ice. Hmm. Do away with that. What do we do about the domes and say goodbye to an institution? It's all coming up. It's one fifty seven. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two oh eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Melissa, yesterday was a first. Well, uh, at first in context for me, yeah, it's um, you know, wow. Proving, yeah, it's, uh, proving that you know there there can be for new old experiences. dogs experiences for old dogs. <laughs> I was okay, say. okay, okay. So here's the deal. I go to a lot of Brewers games, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a i uh, my my best friend Evan and I we, we share a, a twenty pack of tickets, and then I, I I'm a huge Brewers fan, and so occasionally we can get tickets from around here. So yesterday afternoon, I. Uh, my wife had to work, and so I, I got I got four tickets from the station, and I took. Well, they're her fr- they're my friends to her, mm-hmm. but you know, but new friends, and sure. Stuff. And so um, our, our friends Maggie and Dale, our friend Colleen, I the, so four of us went to the game. It's not my fault that it turned out to be you know kind of a, a clunker of a game, but we're we're sitting in in the stands and eighth inning, we're there. We were on the jumbotron. Oh my
1: gosh, that isn't that fun.
0: Made the jumbotron. I I have I, now a few years back. Um, Miller and Merc- Mercure and I, we threw out the first pick. Mm-hmm. You know, they had like a WTMJ night. So all three of us were there. And um, so we were in the jumbotron then. We went out the field and threw out the pitch. But this but, was but different. This was diff- this, yeah. this was in the stand. So I'm telling my wife that. I said, we were on the jumbotron. I said, what do you mean you're on the du- jumbotron? I've never been on the jumbotron. Well, good thing it
1: wasn't like the kissing cam. They have those because <laughs> you didn't have your wife with you. So that would have been a yeah, little that, bizarre. Right, that, that
0: you know, <laughs> they don't do that. They don't do that anymore. Is that right? Right. Because um, it, it's awkward. Right. And, and you know they used to do that. Um, it, they used to do it at the Bradley Center a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I want to. I I go to Marquette games, and I think they stopped doing that because you know it would be uh, sometimes they get people who weren't me. together. Yeah. Or I remember there's this one. They're focused on this this guy and a gal, and she's going, "He's my brother." You know, you oh, can no. see it. Yeah. No, it, it's kind of one of those awkward things. So yeah, I, it is. I don't think they do. I'm, I have been to a lot of brewers games this year and I don't think I've seen them do that. Yeah, um, that's probably
1: a good thing. And well, you're one up on me. I've never been on a jumbotron, so
0: Oh well you're going tomorrow night, right? I am going, going tomorrow night, tomorrow night so okay, maybe I'll
1: a... do something very weird so I get their attention, which <laughs> would be pretty much anything. Well just let
0: me set the record straight yeah. We weren't doing anything weird. We just happened to be you know Now, it was it was kind of a dog of a game, so a lot of people were leaving and we stayed until the very end. So so we were there in the eighth inning and kind of waving well, and stuff. Well you must but, have
1: looked like a fun group of people.
0: Um in Entirely possible. Yeah, that's that's us. That that was the four of us. We were a fun group of people. Absolutely. But so I kind of made that. Good to hear
1: something new. For and
0: you. yes, and grew. And so we'll see if what Melissa does to get herself on the jumbotron tomorrow. Huh? Little, we'll skin. see. We'll She'll see. She'll be thinking about that. Okay. A <laughs> yeah. lot of ground to cover in uh, what time remains. I I want to talk a little bit about. <sighs> there are there are serious conversations that you can have about issues and there are serious people, and then there are kind of political hacks who say what they say or do what they do um, without really trying to advance the conversation. I, I think this entire debate about immigration, and, and I understand we've been so obsessed about this, and I, the, it, it makes my head hurt, and I'm sort of at this stage where um, I, your, your head kind of wants to explode over this. You know, the, the stuff on, on the border and the hysteria that has been going on um, again. You know, we we kind of reviewed the bidding last week. You know, long story short, people come into this country illegally. They bring their kids along with them um, up until President Trump's executive order last week because of a of a court case. What happened was you could detain the adults, but you couldn't detain the, the children Um at the same type of facilities, the adults were being held in. As a result, our policy was to just release everybody. And eighty to eighty-five percent of the adults who got released never showed up. They just disappeared into the ether of this country. As part of a zero-tolerance policy, President Trump said, "Okay, well, we're going to detain, we're going to detain the parents, and we're going to detain detain the kids until there's been a hearing." Well, everybody screamed, "Oh, this is terrible! This is inhumane!" People were likening it to the Holocaust. Now, I mean. All right, You can argue about whether or not this is a a smart policy, but the Holocaust, for goodness sakes, give me a break. So now President Trump says, well, what we're going to do is we'll detain everybody, we'll hold them together. I think he needs congressional approval to do that, but that's just me. Um, And, and of course, that hasn't satisfied people on the left. Oh, it's inhumane to detain children. Well, all right, the, the alternative is just allowing people to come into this this country. But it's just kind of this hysteria that's going on. And and so many people, I just don't think, are trying to really serious about trying to deal with the immigration situation. So into that, speaking of somebody who's not serious, uber-liberal congressman Mark Pocan out of, of Madison, uh, he comes out with a proposal today. He wants to abolish the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Service. He wants to abolish ICE. And so these are the people that enforce the laws along our border, that keep control of immigration. These are the people that do go in, and when you have companies that are, um, I don't know, employing all sorts of people illegally, these are the people that go in and make the arrests. Mark Pokan's philosophy is he wants to abolish immigration, Uh, the immigration service, and what he wants to do is create a commission that would offer recommendations to Congress for the implementation of a humane immigration enforcement system, whatever that means. Well, I'll tell you what that really means is that means, like, no immigration regulations at all, but he wants to abolish ICE. Now, most Democrats recognize that this is kind of in Cookville. I mean, Bernie Sanders doesn't even adopt this because he realizes we're really, really far out. But a handful of them do because they think that this is a way to, I mean, appeal and pander to a certain segment of, of their population. So Pocan is calling for this. The The guy who, who's running for Paul Ryan's seat, um, Randy Bryce, the sort of... I don't know, troubled, employee, troubled guy, he's, he's on board. He's saying, yeah, we should abolish immigration. Let's, let's just get rid of ICE. All right, one segment, 414-799-1620. That's the Academic mortgage talk and text line. There is, in my opinion, no if you suggest doing away essentially with, you know, enforcement activities, that, that's just not serious. What you're really talking about, and that's what you know. Some Democrats don't want to come out and say is they want to have open borders. They don't want to have any sort of restrictions. Come into this country, we're going to turn you loose. We're going to let you go, and we're going to let you find your way. I think there's problems with the immigration system, and I do think it would be nice if we move towards a more merit-based type of thing. But but I leave that for smarter people. I do know that abolishing ICE, and essentially saying, okay, we're going to stop enforcing our laws, or we're going to materially change the way we enforce the laws, I think that's just nothing short of crazy. And, and I don't think that's where the majority of this country is. Particularly, you know, if you get down, I don't know, you you, you go to Arizona, you go to Texas, you get down around the border, and you hear the real-life problems that are created by unchecked immigration. And it's not to say that there's – I'm not anti-immigrant. I, I'm not. I, I'm anti-illegal immigrant. And do we need to change the laws perhaps to make it easier for you know certain types of people to come into this country? That's fine. But you've got to have controls on the number of people who come in. You've got to have controls over the timing of people that come in. This country could not stand an influx of, I don't know, X number of million more people just pouring in. The, the resources, I mean, there's a drain right now on resources on our border states. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me to talk about doing away with the you know customs enforcement in favor of some commission that might recommend a more humane approach, whatever the heck that means. 414-799-1620. I'm telling you, I just think this is Cookville, but let's tee this up. Should we do away with ICE? Is it time to essentially stop enforcing our immigration laws in favor of some nebulous commission that might come up with a more humane way to handle immigration, whatever that means? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 217. We discuss next. If you're on the line Please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ is excited. We are excited to announce our first-ever Brewers Classic broadcast. You know, we do this um, during the Packers season when they have their off week. Well, we're doing it for the Brewers um, during the All-Star break. We're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Milwaukee Brewers' dramatic 2008 win against the Chicago Cubs, that is the win that secured the team's first playoff appearance in 26 years. You can hear it right here on Wednesday, July 18th at six o'clock. How very, very cool is that? Yes, Mark Pocan, who's kind of the backbencher um, congressman from Madison, now he, he's in a safe seat. I mean, he's he, you know it, it's the it's the Madison seat. He's not going to lose, so he can come out with all this these kind of kooky ideas, and nobody's going to hold him accountable for it. But I think there's a lot of mainstream Democrats who are going, boy, I, this this idea is so whacked out that, like I say, Bernie Sanders won't embrace it. Um, let's see. Uh, Mitch writes, the ICE comment is nothing short of opportunist political rhetoric. Everyone, including Pocan, knows a country cannot remain sovereign and secure without enforceable borders. Uh, yeah. Kyle and Walatosa text, Democrats once again bailing water from one side of a sinking ship to the other. Rather than fixing the leak, they're trying to ignore the inflow of seawater. Yes. See, that's the whole key. What's going on here is you know we have we have an immigration system that that needs major overhaul. But the problem is you, you've got people on both political sides. You have Democrats who smell blood in the water, figuratively, and, and they think hey, this is going to help us pick up seats. So we don't want to do anything. You know, the Republican compromise that that actually Paul Ryan came up with last week was, I thought, a reasonable one. It was, all right, first of all, let's spend money on border security. Let's tighten up the borders. Let's stop the flow of people coming into this country illegally. At the same time, let's provide an avenue for the people who have been in this country for a period of time let's provide them an avenue like the dreamers for being able to stay i think that that's a reasonable sort of compromise and my guess is most americans would agree i don't think there's too many americans that would agree with guys like mark pocan and randy bryce that we should just open up our borders Now, now i understand there's a certain segment of that that says yeah you no know, we shouldn't enforce immigration laws just let anybody who come in they want but that that's a really small segment that's the fringe that's not I say that's not even bernie sanders he's not out there and i i think i appreciate that there's some republicans who say well what part of illegal don't you understand if you're in this country illegally you got to go To which my response has been, since this became an issue back during the presidential campaign, was there's a limit on resources. There's only so many immigration judges. You can't deport 11 million people. We don't have those resources. So let's concentrate on figuring out of those 11 million people that are in this country illegally. Let's figure out of that 11 million, how many are problems? And then... Let's get those people that are problems. and You can define problem however you want, but the ones that are problems, let's get them the heck out of the country. And everybody else, let's figure out a way to uh, allow them to stay. I'm not an advocate for citizenship. I, I'm I'm not. But I, I think you know some sort of roadmap that allows them to become permanent residents or whatever if they've been in this country for a long time. But that is contingent upon toughening up the border because, like I say, you can't just allow. Millions and millions of people to pour in unchecked into the country because the country we don't have enough resources to take care of that, and that's why I don't think there's any country in the world outside maybe a couple like really obscure countries that you wouldn't want to live in that just allow that has open borders that allows anybody to come in. Mexico doesn't do that. Canada doesn't do it. In Europe, you know they've got you you can move back and forth between the countries because you know they're all part of that, that giant European block. But as far as you know, being a resident, no, it's not how that works. So th- these are these are difficult issues, but they're they're workable issues. Unfortunately, you have you know people on both the right and the left, like Mark Pocan, who aren't serious, and, and so they're not serious people, and so as a result, you, you don't get any constructive movement on this, and it is incredibly, incredibly frustrating. When we come back. Well, I tell you, it is the end of an era. I'll tell you all about it. It's 225. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 234. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, the European Union imposes retaliatory tariffs on the U.S. What does that mean for you the next time you buy some of your favorite products? John McCure takes a look at 321 Today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. As we were talking about a couple minutes ago, the uh, that, that trade war has got the stock market in the tank the uh, Dow down 403 points which is a 1.64 percent drop the, the bigger story is um, NASDAQ which is technology heavy that's down 189 that's a that's a 2.47 percent drop so uh, no matter how you cut it very bad day and I think a lot of it's just attributable to the um, uh, to, to this in my opinion completely unnecessary trade war that the president has launched. All right, it is the end of an era. Gru, who is producing the show today? Did you up being a Toys R Us kid? Did you go to Toys R Us when you were growing up? Just once or twice. Oh, that was like, so. Your parents were cruel to children. They just didn't take you into the. All right, um, I, I, I freely admit I was a I was a Toys R Us kid mostly. Since since I didn't have children, since my my late wife and I did not have have children our, ourselves. We. Um, we sort of glommed onto, and I say that in the most affectionate way possible, my, my niece and my nephew and some you know, children that friends of ours have had, and so we would we would regularly go to to Toys R Us. I can remember um, both for my niece, who's now finished her first year in college, um, or, or my nephew. Once they got old enough, one of the big things is we'd go out to Toys R Us around Christmas time and we buy them we'd buy them like these electric cars that you could get and. And then I, I found out that Toys R Us assembled the cars, and that made it even better. So Uncle Jeff didn't have to do that. One of the things that that we did for years and years with my um, my nephew Alex is we would give him like a, a we take him on a shopping spree, and you know there'd be kind of a dollar thing, but we would we would take him over to Toys R Us and let him kind of run through the aisles and pick stuff he wanted, and within within certain limits, although. One of us was tougher than the other one. But, I mean, it was always this kind of just going up and down the aisles. And then, you know, it was sort of funny to watch the kids just get paralyzed as they're, like, looking at all the stuff they have and trying to figure out, do I want this game or do I want that game or do I want this or whatever. But, I mean, I can just I, – I mean, Toys R Us was a, was a very, very cool place. Now, I bring this up because all Toys R Us stores across the country um, are going to be closing on or before Friday. Um, many stores nationwide aren't going to make it to Friday. Some are closing Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, and of course, in, in our area, the, the Toys R Us store that was at Northridge, which is the one I used to go to, that's been closed for a while now. So the, the one on South 27th Street, I'm not positive. I think it's still open, but I'm, but I'm, I'm not sure. So, you know, you have this, this incredibly iconic brand. I mean, Toys R Us has just been around, you know, for forever, and I, I think it was one of those those places and one of those businesses that people thought was was always going to, you know, be in existence. And like I say, I used to I used to love going to the store, and one of the things I pride myself on is the fact that I'm I'm still a kid at heart, and I, I do I think that that's. I consider myself to be young at heart and a big kid at heart. And I, I remember when we would go to, um, we'd take like either my niece or my nephew to Toys R Us. One of the things that was cool is I'd always, while well, he's looking around at stuff. I'd be going through the board games thing and I'd be saying, oh, they still make Monopoly. Or, oh, they still make Operation. Or, oh, they still make Battleship or whatever, all these different games. And I remember always being tempted to want to buy the newest version of it. But it was just, it was just really cool. But I, I didn't want to let the closing go by without devoting a, just a segment of the program to the demise of, of Toys R Us. I will tell you, and, and maybe again, maybe I'm looking at this with rose-colored glasses, but I'm going to miss Toys R Us. I mean, I just I remember their Jeffrey the Giraffe, which was there, you know, which was their um, uh, again the, the the representative, the kind of like the mascot and stuff. I can just remember. Again, many, many fun trips to, to Toys R Us, um, the type of toy store that you really don't find around much anymore, Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know, were you like me, did you enjoy Toys R Us, are you going to, you're going to miss it. I, I think, and again, I think Toys R Us changed over the last, you know, several years for a variety of fashion, for a variety of reasons, but I mean, the the Toys R Us that I can remember from 5 or 10 and 15 years ago, I just thought it was just an incredibly cool place. I have a lot of positive memories, and I'm sorry to see it go. 414-799-1620, Requiem for Toys R Us. You can admit it. Were you a Toys R Us kid, even if you're a grown-up? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two forty. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty three. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, today is th- today. This week is the last week for Toys R Us. All nationwide Toys R Us stores um, will be closed by Friday. Many are closing before that. And uh, for example, the one at Northridge closed a while back. I, I freely admit I grew up being a Toys R Us kid, and I'm really sorry to see this day come. I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss. I remember, like I say, taking my niece and nephew for shopping trips and things like that, and then the, the kid and me sort of like walking up and down the aisles going, oh, that's kind of a cool game, or they're still making that game, or, gee, would you know, if I bought that game, would I ever use it? I, I mean, I remember thinking about those things, and it, it's just it's part of our childhood that's going to be gone forever. Nicholas in Hartland, Nicholas, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hi. Um, again, I was telling you guys – uh, when it comes to taking care of my kids, we did our baby registries at Babies R Us, and then right. on their birthdays, we uh, took them for to get their birthday presents from Toys R Us. I mean, it, you know, yeah, we have a big Thomas the Train engine collection. It's very hard to find anything anywhere else but at Toys R Us for Thomas.
0: Yeah, um, did you? So you were a regular Toys R Us shopper, huh? Yeah. What do you think went wrong?
2: um there's there's a few things i mean there was you know again advertising i mean when it came to toys r us i mean you most people thought about it only at holidays right you know
1: right so
0: yeah uh, yeah and it's and i think i mean there's all sorts of things you know right i mean i mean toys r us at christmas time my gosh what a you know what a what a great thing, and, and how much fun was that? So, yeah, Toys R Us at Christmas time. I, I think, you know, one of the other things that ended up happening is the the original owners ended up selling out, and it got bought by one of these leveraged buyout firms. And then I think there were, you know, they started to make cuts and things like that. Plus, you've got the competition of the internet. But it was one of those types of stores and one of those types of iconic places that I think, from the perspective of, of a lot of us, You know, we didn't think it was ever going to change. Okay, we've got a bunch of texts here. Dear Jeff, Toys R Us is part of my DNA, and I will greatly miss it. Um, But I can't wait to see if KB Toys is really coming back. Yeah, You know, maybe, maybe. Uh, Let's see, Kyle Antosa says, Jeff, I'm admittedly quite young, but I remember going to Toys R Us with my mom to look at games for the Sega Genesis back in the mid-'90s. It was kid heaven. Um, now, Kid Heaven is the Amazon <laughs> delivery truck. Yeah, I guess there's a, a point to that. But um, you know, one of the things that I think Toys R Us did that helped it last as long as it did was un, a lot of toy stores kind of fought the video game thing. They said, "Okay, well, you know, video games aren't going to be the wave of the future. We want to stay with our more traditional toys." Toys R Us, you know, what, was one of the go-to places um, for video games for years and years, and I think that um, helped helped keep them relevant. Here's another one of our texts. To this day, I am the grown man that is drawn by the push here button on the noisy toy that embarrasses the heck out of my wife. Um, oh, well. Well, see, I get that too. I'm, I'm kind of that guy too. It's kind of like, yeah, push that button and then it makes all the noise and then everybody looks and your wife just kind of gets embarrassed about it. Steve in West Bend says, I was a Toys R Us kid. Loved going there 30 years ago with my mother. Just a lot of, just a lot of memories that are there and um, just a huge part of our community. And it's one of the reasons why we, we take stuff for granted. And every once in a while on Pop Culture Corner, we'll we'll look on Fridays, we'll, we'll look back and we'll talk about things that you miss and that, that have gone away. And it's just amazing how many stores that there are that were just brands that were iconic that have, have just disappeared over time. And you assume that, well... It's too big to fail and it, it's not. you know one of the ones that you're going to see happen very soon is, is Sears. Um, I, I think you know Sears stores are disappearing incredibly quickly and my guess and I'm not rooting for this, but I mean my, my guess is in the next couple years that Sears isn't going to exist. It's not going to exist the standalone stores. they might have you know some mail order stuff or whatever. but I think you know Sears and Kmart, which were, I mean, Sears was, what do they say? Sears was where America shops. I I would not be surprised to see that gone over the next few years, just not able to compete with the Internet and compete with some of the other brick-and-mortar stores. Same thing is true of Boston Store. I mean, you're seeing this now. I mean, Boston Store has been, you want to talk about an iconic brand in southeastern Wisconsin and Wisconsin in general. That's Boston Store. And what do they think? By the end of summer, all the Boston stores are going to be closed. It's sad, but it is, it is the reality. And it makes you wonder what's, what's going to come next and how are the brick and mortar stores and how are these brands going to be able to compete? I didn't want to let the program end without making reference to a couple of different things, including something that happened over the weekend. There if you want to look at what passes for entertainment in a popular culture today, it's it's almost all left wing comedians and left wing musicians, left wing actors and actresses. To the point that um, you know, there's a Hollywood, there's this bubble, and if you happen to be outside the giant bubble, you know, a, a conservative scriptwriter, a conservative director, a conservative actor. I mean you, you really do blacklist might not be the right term, but it's tough to get work. It's one of the reasons why the Roseanne Barr show I think was so successful in its first incarnation before she imploded, because you know, it was a, a show designed to appeal to that middle America where, you know, maybe maybe there's a way of thinking about and looking at issues outside of that, that groupthink that you find in New York City or that you find in Hollywood. Well, but there's not too many not too many conservative musicians, not too many conservative actors, not too many conservative writers. In Milwaukee, over the weekend, um, one, of, one of the few was here. Got a, I was not at the show, but Tim Allen um, appeared at the Riverside Theater. And Tim Allen, who, of course, um, he, he is one of the rarest things that you find in Hollywood. He is a conservative comedian. He's known best probably for the TV show Home Improvement. He was in the Santa Claus movies. He was the voice of Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story. But um, you know, he performed two shows at uh, the Riverside Theater. Both shows sold out. Now, let me let me just let that sink there. Both shows sold out. So, what does that tell you? Well, first of all, it tells you that I mean, there is a space in America today for conservative points of view in the entertainment field. Both shows sold out. And all I, all I have to go by is the review that they had in the paper and a couple other comments I read online. But but in general, one of the things that struck, apparently it struck about the Allen show is very, very well received. It was not overtly political and it wasn't mean. It wasn't the meanness that you see from time to time. One of the things that I have been struck by isn't isn't the it's not so much political humor. I mean, and I understand you watch Saturday Night Live and you look at the Kathy Griffins of the world, and, and it's not just the fact that they're doing left wing political humor, but but it it's all so mean and nasty and so terribly divisive. One of the things the comments about the Tim Allen show were that it was it it, it was and occasionally mocking of sort of some of the liberal stuff but but a mild kind of mocking it, it wasn't the the edgy nasty mean stuff that, that's out there and I think that there's a, a real I think that there's people who want to see that kind of stuff uh, again that you know I mean I understand that we're divided into tribes and I understand that we've got these different political viewpoints and things like that but at the same time I, I think you, you can be funny without being mean you look at saturday night live nowadays and i mean it's this take no prisoner sort of stuff and you can call it edgy or whatever but it's mean it's mean-spirited you look at the the samantha bees of the world you look at the woman who did the the comedian who did the thing at the um at the uh uh, the dinner in washington dc for the press club it's mean it's nasty it is cruel and i understand if you're on that one side of the aisle if, if you're in that tribe It's preaching to the choir, and you laugh about it. Oh, that's great! But for the vast amount, vast part of America, I don't think people want to see the cruelty, and I don't think people want to see the meanness. And if you go that route, you marginalize yourself. And everybody tells me the Tim Allen show wasn't wasn't like that. Maybe it wasn't as edgy as some people would have liked, but it's what he does. And I think there's a place for that type of entertainment in America today, at least. I hope there is. All right, it's 2.53. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.